0: You're listening to Partnernomics Podcast, where we discuss the art and science of developing successful strategic partnerships. To learn more about the suite of Partnernomics solutions, visit Partnernomics.com. Welcome back to another episode of Partnernomics Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Brigman. And on today's show, we get to chat with Bryn Jones. So Bryn is the co-founder and CEO of PartnerStack, a really cool company that we've gotten to know over the past many months and have enjoyed working with them and uh, look forward to, to going into the future. But Bryn, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, Mark, thanks for having me. It's always awesome to chat. So, Bryn, uh, man, what a what a cool journey you guys have been through uh, over the past uh, many years or past you know, several years to grow the business, man. I love entrepreneurship, love talking to founders, co-founders of, you know, kind of just sharing their experience of what that's like, man. I, but I want to, I want to kind of back up a little bit and, and hit kind of a personal side with you as, you know, kind of digging through and learning about your background. Uh, you love swimming, but, uh, you're like an elite swimmer. Tell us was, a little bit of, it was, it was, it huh? was, well, was an elite swimmer. Uh, elite is relative, right? I mean, you put me into a <laughs> bathtub and I'd probably drown, but, uh, man, you were on the Canada swim team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, I had a career before partnerships and I retired at, at 24. Um, but had a great opportunity to swim, fell in love with when I was a kid and just got better and better over time. Um, and ended up swimming on Canada's national swim team. I was actually convinced that I was going to go to the Olympics and I had a legit shot, um, you know, leading into 2012, uh, but I got injured. And, um, you know, what they don't teach you in sport is sometimes that happens. And then that leads to, um, you know, a retirement. Um, so it was during that retirement that, um, you know, I went through the whole, the whole process of, of what's next and, and that's how it's led me here. But, um, it was an incredible experience. I always say that I'll never know anything as well as I knew swimming It was super simple. It was one lap or two laps. Um, um, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been great.
0: And that is so awesome. That was cool watching uh, the Olympics and just all of them uh, compete. Man, it's such an amazing sport that it, it seems that like it takes a, an intense amount of dedication. So, man, that's that's super cool. So, Bryn, love to jump into entrepreneurship as well. Just right here as we we dig into this podcast. Um, is PartnerStack the, the first company that you founded or co-founded or kind of the first foray into um, into this wild world of, of business startup and business ownership?
1: Yeah, no. So
0: no is, is, is
1: the short answer. Um, so after swimming, I went to grad school and in grad school, I was actually studying sport management. Um, but I also discovered this business incubator and swimming, you know, I was looking at the bottom of this pool 30 hours a week. All all of a sudden, I have an extra 30 hours a week on my hands. I can then spend it in this business incubator. And I really fell in love with technology. Um, and this is back in like 2011, 2012. Um, and in that business incubator, I actually met my co-founders and we started working through different projects. Teaching, you know, they tried to teach me how to code. I only did so well at that. Um, and you know, we 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 launched a few projects. Um, you know, the, the project that got traction was actually a collaboration platform, and it's a collaboration platform for nonprofits. Um, and we like to say that it was like Slack, except worse in every way. Um, um, and we were super naive about it, but for us, it actually justified like for me, dropping out of grad school. I thought like, hey, like this is gonna be it. This is gonna be my shot, I'm gonna take it. Um, and and we did, and it was the best learning experience of my life. One, because I really solidified the relationships that I had with my co-founders. Uh, there's four of us, we knew that we were the team that we wanted to go in and build. Um, two, because it was like, it's just this incredible series of opportunities that ultimately came together for how we have uh, initially built our go-to-market engine um, with, with Pod, this collaboration platform where we learned and we did it all through like referrals. Um, And we didn't even know what we had gone and built um, until much larger companies started reaching out to us saying, hey, how'd you build your partnership program? How'd you build your channel program? We're like, what's that? Um, And it's one of these like serendipitous moments generally happens like in the Bay Area or New York or something like that, but actually happened in Toronto where um, we reached out to Shopify. This is before they went public. We reached out to the VP over there of, of partnerships and we asked them if we could talk. Um, and Travis brought us into his office and he walked us through Shopify's partner ecosystem. And he showed us like, here's what it's take. Uh, here's what it took. You know, I think at the time they had 65 people doing everything manually. And he explained to us that he actually believed that Shopify's product wasn't the e-commerce platform, but it was instead their partner ecosystem. Um, and it was going to be the partner ecosystem that gave them the reach, the distribution. Um, and there's no way he knew he was going to be as right as he ended up being. Uh, and it's an incredible story for, for, you know, Shopify is just like done so well. And it's been so good for tech, so good for entrepreneurs, but also really good for Canadian entrepreneurs because we can see how, how big it can go. Um, but it was in that meeting that they gave us a few first principles, that Travis gave us a few first principles that really showed us what was, what was there.
0: Man, that is awesome. So Bryn, being a tech company, tech startup, four founders you guys are cranking away kind of building this thing. What's up I'd love to just kind of see what advice would you give for other tech startups, tech founders as they're heading down this journey where they're they're going to get some some bumps and bruises and have one hell of an education along the path what are, what's some advice that you would give to you know somebody that's that's starting down that path, say you know the first year or two uh, of you guys in your venture? I think
1: that the most important thing is to find a support system. And so whether that support system is friends, family, colleagues, or whether that support system is co-founders, you need a you need a foundation because you're going to build something and like, you know, all the sayings going to, like are true, right? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, You know, never like avoid the ups and downs, but like none of that means anything unless you have a foundation. And so um, for me, the foundation is my co-founders. And the other foundation was being here in Canada, which is close to my family. Um, You know, we went down to the Bay Area summer 2015 and went through Y Combinator. We went down there thinking we would never come back. Um, And when we were down there, we realized like, hey, if we're going to build something super impactful, it's going to take, you know, a decade or two. Let's do it where, where you know we feel most comfortable. And that was not in vogue at the time. Um, it was very counter to what was happening. Um, and so we came back to Toronto and, you know, we've used Toronto as a foundation to scale up and, you know, it's important to take care of yourself along this journey. It's very hard, but it's incredibly rewarding and it's rewarding in ways that you don't even necessarily think it's going to be rewarding. So it's, it's, it's pretty special.
0: Yeah, man. I love what you guys are doing. So I'd like for you just to kind of share what is partner stack. Uh, for those that may not yeah. be familiar with kind of the ins and outs of, of exactly what your solution is. And if it's like uh any other software in this partnering space, it's uh you know, it's kind of growing and changing and morphing a little bit as we go year to, year to year. But you know, I'd love just kind of to learn a little bit uh, or have you share specifically what what is partner stack today and kind of what's what's it going to look like in a year or so.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. So I think that what we are and what we're doing is ultimately trying to solve a mission, which is to change the way the world sells software. Um, and that's what we're doing today. We think that we can actually change the way the world sells everything at some point. Um, and what our platform does is we give, you know, software vendors, the a platform and a single source of truth to manage all of their partnerships, whether they be, you know, marketing partnerships, referral partnerships, and reseller partnerships. Um, and on the partnership side of stuff, we allow p- partners to log into our platform, get trained, get access, um, resources, enablement materials. And what they can go in and do is they can actually sell and promote different uh, software vendors all from a single platform. We are like strongly of the belief that you know, everything's going to be centralized. The best way to go in and improve the experience for your partners is by, is by centralizing things. Um, And and we've really seen this trend take off over the last uh, little bit. So our our, our platform lets companies like Intuit, Monday.com, Webflow, grow through partnerships. And we can show these software vendors that partnerships is the most efficient and effective way to go to market.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great uh, segue. I'd love to, I I know you guys work with a lot of different companies across the world to be a solutions provider for them, but, what, what are some things that you see uh, with companies whenever they're first launching a program or they're contemplating launching a program, standing up a, you know, a partner program to help them uh, sell more efficiently? What are some of those things that you see earlier? What's some advice that you would give to those executives?
1: The biggest mistake that we see is we see people making decisions without data and partnerships isn't an art. It is a science um, and you need data and you need to collect data. And so the first thing that folks need to start doing is they need to put, um, you know, a sign on their landing page. that says they're open for business with partners. That's free. That's something free that every single person can do. And what you can do with that is you treat it like a marketing experiment. your experiment. You're really trying to discover who your partner persona is, what that ideal persona is. And it's going to be different for you than it is going to be for someone else. And so just start collecting the data um, and, you know, So people either under-resourced or over-resourced, but the number one mistake that they generally make is they do both of those things with no data. Your partners will tell you what is possible in your space, and it's up to you to go in and run experiments and iterate on those experiments to find that ideal partner persona and then resource them effectively. The the next mistake is, you know, you have to optimize your partner's experience. Uh, It's not about you, it's about them. And if you optimize your partner's experience, what ends up happening is they'll be incredibly successful. They'll give you the feedback, even if that feedback is, hey, this isn't a good fit, um, but it's better that you know than you don't. So the number one thing that we see, and that's from folks that have never launched to people that are operating at scale where partnerships is driving 30% of revenue, is you have to operate with data. It is it is not an art, it is a science. And I think that that's what's really going to change over the next 10 years is that's going to be really understood.
0: Yeah. One of the things, one of the many things that, that we teach and preach is Partnering definitely is a science and it's something that needs to be very intentional. And so many times, especially in, you know, well, generically called sales partnerships, uh, we see this spray and pray approach, this big net approach. And we go onto our website, we put our little agreements for referral or for whatever, whatever it looks like to, to work with us, we put that click through agreement in place. And then we launch that link out and just anybody willing to click and sign. They become a partner, and somehow, miraculously, we're all going to make money. Yeah, it never works out that way, does it? No, no, it never works out that way. It's better to
1: think of this as really a series of experiments that you can like build on. Like, you need to be thinking about launching a, a partnership program or or, or building a go to market um, uh, in partnership the same way as you need to be thinking about building a product. Like That search for product market fit, which includes finding the ideal customer uh, persona, is really hard and can be really challenging. There's some things that you can do to like, speed it up, but you can't just swing blindly and expect it to work out.
0: Yeah. Better to have no deal than a bad deal. And exactly. if you have partners that, are, that sit in I mean, the, the data shows through somewhere between you know 80 to 95% of, of partners in sales programs, sales partnering programs specifically are inactive. If they're yes. inactive, they're taking up resources and they're actually weighing you down from doing what, what your company needs to be doing. Uh, Brian, I'd love to kind of dig into you and just continue the conversation around data and metrics and these KPIs, these key performance indicators, these pieces. What are some of the, the key, uh, those, those performance indicators, those metrics that we need to be looking at or that really matters? we're standing up and growing and optimizing programs?
1: Engagement, engagement, engagement. Like I can't tell you and stress with you, like, you know, ultimately we're all trying to drive revenue. We're all trying to drive pipeline, right? Like we're all responsible to that, but that's really the score on the board. You need to focus on like the leading indicators for that score. And so it's one thing if someone applies to your program but they're probably gonna go silent at some point in time. Uh, It's another thing if someone comes in, puts a lot of energy and effort behind, you know building out a contract that's generally folks that are very large resellers or distributors and then, like nothing comes from it. It's actually what happens in between, and you can measure engagement in, in a number of ways. Engagement can be measured for like communication back and forth. Engagement can be measured by identifying people that they have in their pipeline that they can, um, you know, start co-selling back and forth with. Engagement can be running through uh, an LMS to go in and do training. Um, engagement can be run through, you know, checking who's downloading what resources. Like there are all different measures to engagement. Um, and it's, it, it will depend on how complicated your product is, it will depend on how long your sales cycle is, it will depend on what type of partner that you go in and measure. You need to build an engagement map. Um, and that engagement map ultimately leads to revenue. But there's a lot of steps that happen before revenue. Um, you know, if you think that you're going to turn on partnerships and in three months it's going to start jumping uh, generating revenue you know, that's not going to happen. You know, I I hope it happens. I I wish you the best of luck when it, when that, if it could happen. Don't bet on it though. Yeah. Don't, don't bet on that because your sales cycle is likely longer than three months. So, you know, part of that engagement metric could be, you know, what about the leads that are coming through? How qualified are those leads that are coming through? You can get, you need to get granular with the engagement numbers and you need to figure out, you know, if sales and marketing use these engagement metrics, well, I should really piggyback off of those and then tailor it to the partnership um, platform.
0: Yeah. I love that, man. There's so much in there. There's definitely not, you know, one size fits all there's, there's even different programs within our partnering program of what we're after. Uh, I love what you said about it's, it's about the clients. It's about the partner. I mean, really yeah. it's, we need to equip our partners to take care of and to service the, 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 end users that are after that. So many times, you know, we, we seem to stand up these programs, these partnering programs, these sales programs, because simply because we think it may be a cheaper way to sell our product. And for me, man, just philosophically, I think that's number one, going about it the wrong way. And number two, you're probably setting yourself up for failure if that is kind of the approach or the culture, or the way that you're viewing partnering as being a tool. It, it really needs to be this symbiotic collaboration where we truly have a sense of obligation to help our partners build their business. Yes. I just I don't think I don't think that's the general approach or mindset when we head into these partnerships. Yeah.
1: And I think to your point on that, like it's actually not about educating partners on your product per se. It's about educating your partners on what you are doing to improve the relationship, what you are committed to going and doing. Um, you know, you need to lay out what commitments you expect from them. But it's really important to tell them, here's what we are going to do. Here is how we are going to listen to you. Here are the agreements that we're going to come to. But you know, if you have any thoughts, we're also open to that feedback. You really need to be teaching your partner, uh, treating your partners as though they're ex- an extension of your team. And there's different management uh, methodologies. But I think we know the most effective one is to do everything you can to enable your team to grow and develop in their careers. And if you can do that and treat your partners the same, you will have tremendous success um but it's a long-term commitment um and you know it 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 really is a but it, it's incredibly important and the folks we see most successful are the ones that really buy into that
0: man i love that more people need to hear this right so with your partners success is engagement 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 if you're not top of mind somebody else is if you're not top of mind they're not thinking about you or your solutions and what we call pre-contract signature when you're trying to figure out who to partner with Alignment, alignment, alignment. Yeah. And it's not hope. It is a science. Yeah. Have those conversations. We say over 50% of long-term partnership success happens before you ever sign the deal. What the hell does that mean? Alignment, alignment, alignment. Have those candid, very direct conversations. What are you looking for? You show how you can achieve that for them. What are they looking for? Vice versa. Uh, so many times we have these conversations, we kind of have this cloudy view of this utopian state that we want. Our partners maybe have the same thing, but man, so many times we don't drill down to the ground floor to get those commitments to really, to explicitly share what we're after to show alignment all the way through. And, uh, if that is the case, if we don't do that work, that that agreement, that quote unquote partnership, as we call it, is dead on arrival. Partnerships are not contracts.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good way of saying it. Like to make that even like when we think of the actionable alignment questions, um, it's always like which customers are you going to sell this to, right? Like how big are the how big are those customers? Um, what other software have they gone or hardware have they gone and purchased um, in the past? Uh, what have those sales cycles been like? You know, how have you worked with other vendors before? Um, Like, these are really important questions um, because folks that are coming and knocking on your door, they've generally done this before. Like 99.9% of the time, they are professionals. They're managed service providers. They are marketers. They know what they're doing. They have the data. You just need to ask them the questions. And if they're not asking you questions and they're not able to give you those answers, They're probably the wrong folks you're going to be working with. I mean, the classic example is, you know, the massive amount of work that goes into building a contract with a very large consulting organization. Um, And it might take six months, everyone throws high fives at the end of it, only for there to never be a deal that's brought to the table, right? It's a huge, huge time suck. Ask the questions, go deep. Who are those customers they're going to introduce you to? Are the customers that you can start introducing them to for them to go in and better service that? Like build that working relationship and it should feel messy. Um, It shouldn't feel clean. This is not about, you know, putting like another score on the board. Um, It is about finding like deep partners.
0: Man, so, so good. So good. Uh, Bryn, let's talk about, this is a very important topic that seems to come up all the time. And that is the, the, the partnering team where do they fit into the org who do they report to what does that look like how do we set them up for success from from an org structure perspective
1: yeah so i mean partnerships used to be really the key the core driver especially during like right around the 2000 and and that seems to have changed especially in saas and i come from the world of saas so you know this definitely doesn't necessarily apply to other folks Um, But what we've seen when we first started PartnerStack way back in 2015 is partnerships actually sat under sales. And from 2015 to 2018, sitting under sales, it shifted to under marketing. And the reason there has been this shift from sales to under marketing is because everyone owns revenue now. Um, Product owns revenue, sales owns revenue, marketing owns revenue, success owns revenue. Um, And when we saw the shift from partnerships from under sales to under marketing, we saw a significant step forward in what partnerships could actually do. And the reason being is there's competing incentives when the sales and partnerships team sit in, in, in alignment. And unless you have an incredible executive team that knows how to balance those incentives and understands that the partnerships team should really enhance the sales team, um, problems can happen. And so there was this shift in about 2018 from partnerships from, from under sales to under marketing. Over the last three years, the biggest shift that we've seen, and really in the last 12 to 18 months, is partnerships is now sitting in its own distinct part in the organization, right? Like the advent of the CRO that's really come on over the last 10 years enables this to happen. If partnerships are going to drive 30, 40, 50% incremental revenue for your organization, partnerships needs to have a seat at the table. And if partnerships does not have a seat at the table, you know, you should really be rethinking the overall partnership strategy and ensure it, it to me actually shows that there's not the right type of alignment because sales and, and marketing would never take on an additional 30% incremental revenue. You know, the fact that there's a, an organization in an organization, like it just sets you up for failure. You need to have direct line to the CRO. You need to have uh, be able to go in and speak to those, the executive team and that board.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. And what we've seen and what we recommend is, the, the partnering team, as you had mentioned before, you're likely, if you're standing up this program, you're going to be somewhere between 12 and 24 months yeah. into this program before you hit real revenue. And so what does that mean? Well, partnering is always, in almost every flavor of it, it's it's a longer-term game. It's not the transactional short-term, but it's that longer-term game. The, the problem that we see is whenever a partnering team is stood up and it goes, it reports into the sales uh, team, the sales department, the sales VP, if you will. The problem there is the sales VP has this thing called a quota every month that they have to hit. Yeah. And they're almost always you know scrambling to hit that at the end of the month or whatever the case is. And so what do we do? We kind of grab resources from wherever we can get them because we got to hit that number. And so What we recommend is, however it's done, the partnering team lead in the the department, that group, needs to report into a senior executive that has a a truly strategic, longer-term horizon. They're not chasing a number each month because partnering, by definition, is a longer-term play, a longer-term strategy, and it needs to be managed that way.
1: I fully agree with you. And the thing is, we've done that before. we made this shift, right? Like inbound marketing, content creation, understanding that, that it takes a while. There's this long tail and it builds over time and the momentum kind of builds on itself, but it takes that 12 to 24 months. These executives know that sometimes you just need to tell them um, that it's going to take 12 or 24 months and hear the early indicators for what's there. But we certainly agree with you on that.
0: Yeah. So, Bryn, uh, just generally speaking, the, the partnering executives, these partnering leaders, what, what kind of recommendations do you have, I guess, as, as they are communicating with boards or other executives, that C suite? And you know, we talk about the so important to have that executive sponsorship. It's not just the CEO, it, it, it needs to be the entire C suite needs to understand the strategy of partnering especially if it's a brand new partnering team because partnering is a culture and uh, there's going to be a cultural shift if a partnering organization is being stood up for the first time that it has to be supported so many times we kind of see people don't understand what what, the, what is this partnering thing what do you mean we we used to be an independent uh, it's us against the world. Now right. we're teaming up with these other companies and help, even sometimes we're teaming up with our partner or with our competitors. What what's yeah. going on here? I don't understand this thing. It's like we're growing this new arm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that the first thing that needs to be done is leveling expectations. Right. This is what can be done. And if you're coming in saying that you're going to show these incredible results in a three to six month period, or all of a sudden you're going to add ten percent incremental revenue in twelve to twenty four months, like you're really shooting yourself in the foot. And if someone has come in beforehand and done that, you need to address it immediately. You can actually address that as a partnership professional in the interview process. And you should address it during the interview process, because you do not want to inherit something that unrealistic expectations it's very important that you set the right expectations. You know, if you're building out a sales team, you don't expect actually every single sales rep on the sales team to hit quota in their first 12 months. If you're hit, if you're batting at 60% of that, like you're way ahead of the game, moving towards 80%, a lot of partnership professionals feel like they need to be perfect. And the reason they feel like they need to be perfect is because they've always been resource constrained. But the reality is, is the executive team, the board can handle real conversations and if they don't, you know, should really revisit whether you want to be there or not, because it's going it, to, it's ultimately going to bite you at the end of the day. So that's setting expectations is the number one thing. And then the second thing is partnership professionals have been so good at being, at doing so much with so little. And so we often communicate in a manner that is way too tactical, right? You need to actually speak the same language as the board, speak the same language as the executive team. You need to be talking about your marketing, your your qualified leads, your sales qualified leads. You need to be talking about like where revenue is, but you need to be able to give a breakdown of what the pipeline looks like. And, you know, it can be really challenging, but, you know, thank goodness that there's been this whole mass of technology that's now coming into the space that enables for that. You need to better track that and show those leading indicators to the executive team, show those leading indicators to the board to be able to communicate this is what we are in fact doing. The board doesn't really care whether it's a managed service provider, a value added like, like if you dive in those layers, like it's, it's, it's too much information. It's your responsibility is to actually show your funnel, um, the engagement experiments that you've run in your funnel and ultimately where you believe it's, whether it's tracking or not tracking to go in and hit your revenue target, which you're going to inherit after 12 months, if you're doing it successfully for that 24 month period, um, but show how you are building things, but don't communicate things that don't matter. Again, no one cares whether it's a, like no one cares. They just care about what does the growth look like and how are you doing it?
0: Yeah. I love how that ties back in. Are you saying partnering is a science and we need to start treating it like that. And data are available out there. There are systems out there that can help us do this much more efficiently, and it uh, it takes all of the the opinions out of it, and it turns things into facts, which is what boards and and executives are looking for. Uh, Brian, I know you guys have been really successful in in raising money, and there's lots of uh, money. It seems that a lot of lots of investors out there that are really intrigued with this uh, world that we're in with with partnerships. I'd love to just have you talk for a couple minutes about um, you know the capital space, what that looks like, what it, what it was like, you know, for you to, to, to raise capital and maybe some uh, some recommendations that you would have for other folks that are coming in behind you. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, maybe I'll take it back all the way to 2015 when we first started. When 2015, when we went out and talked to, 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 to investors about partnerships and, you know, what it could bring to the table, we were laughed out of the room. Um, people are only focused on inbound sales, on building a direct sales team, on, you know, AdWords and how quickly you could turn deals around. And what's happened between now and and then is we've realized that like there's incredible inefficiency inside of building that channel. And, um, you know, it's a very, all these channels are very important. Every company actually needs it, but you need to enhance it with partnerships. Um, And so investors have seen this, right? Like as companies start to approach 50, 60, 70, $80 million in revenue, how are they continuing to grow 40, 50, 60, 70, 100% year over year? Well, they're turning to partnerships. So these investors are seeing this happen in real time with their portfolio companies. And so they're making big investments now into the space. Now, there's some great technology that used to be there, um, you know, like PRM, which let us do so much, but the reality is, is that the landscape has changed and um, investors are really thinking more, how, how are the partnership platforms that are out there supporting this ecosystem approach? Um, and they believe that over the next 10 years, distribution, it's going to be a a decade of distribution, and that distribution is going to come through ecosystem. And ecosystem encompasses a lot of different partner types. Um, And so, you know, investors are really excited about getting that global scale so we can continue to uh, retain and actually accelerate our growth rates at scale. And that's what partnerships does. And that's why we always say it's it's why it's so important to hang that sign on your door early days you can, like the earlier you start collecting data uh, and it doesn't need to be successful. You can actually just have a form on your page. You can reach out to these folks so that when you even bring in a partnership, a person, a partnership professional, they have something to work from, you know, you're you're really setting yourselves up. So everyone understands that we're moving into a decade of distribution and that's gonna be powered by ecosystem and, you know, because they're seeing it firsthand. So I'm really excited about what's happening in the space. I think it's huge validation. I, you know, sell, every time that I see, you know, somebody else, whether it's a direct competitor or an adjacent competitor, I am very happy. And the reason why I'm so happy is it shows that we are now committed to this next stage of growth.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, there's there's been just a ton of investment here, just a ton of movement. It's I mean, I, I say partnerships has finally arrived. I mean, it's yeah. it kind of like get, it's finally getting a seat at the table, which is super, super exciting uh, to be in this space. Bryn, one last question before uh, before we let you go here. And that is, some a topic near and dear to our heart, and that is bringing resources to partnering professionals. You know, I mean, I say that I think the, the pool of partnering professionals was tapped out years ago, uh, you know, of, of really seasoned partnering professionals. And now it's like, we need to, to raise up a, another generation of partnering professionals, whether they're coming from marketing, coming from sales, coming from product, from whatever background, you know, there's lots of opportunities for them, but uh, partnering is, it's, it's a big world out there. So what are some resources that you recommend? You need to turn to your community. Uh, And the reason why I suggest community
1: as a resource is you get feedback in real time. There are lots of great books out there. And I know that there's more coming on the market. There's more and more blog posts every single day. But community as a resource is the best way for you to understand what people are doing in real time. If you wait three or six months now, like you could be way behind the bar, like you could be two years behind if you wait that long. And so there's some great communities like the partnership leaders, Cloud Software Association. I know that there's a lot more that are out there, but it is inside of these communities. The best part about partnership leaders is they're willing to help you because they understand the value that is there in partnerships. So turning to your community, you know, identifying someone that is in the same boat as you, maybe they're selling a similar size ACV product, maybe they're targeting a specific market, maybe they're going after a customer that is a certain size, going to the community and learning from your community um, is the best way to understand the very tactical things that it takes to get your job done. And so I think that we're going to see community as, I mean, I know that community is part of this broader ecosystem, but, you know, let's let's use what we actually believe in and are and our, our, our preaching over and over again um, to really accelerate the knowledge in the space. And so that's why it's great. You know, folks like yourself, we're, we're so happy to be working with you. Um, it's just such a supportive community. And, and, and that's the best part about partnerships is the people that work inside of it.
0: We mentioned the importance of, uh, you know, kind of treating these partnerships as, go out, do some research, do some investigation, do some A, B, some A, B, C testing, those sorts of things. But to your point, we don't have to do it all alone. We can do it yes. through collaboration as well, just to accelerate uh, accelerate that process. So, man, what's, uh, what great insights. Brent, it's been awesome spending some time with you. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights. Man, I love what you guys are doing at Partner Stack, and it's going to be fun watching you guys continue to grow. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. Always great to chat. Partnonomics Podcast is brought to you by Partnonomics. Learn how to leverage the power of partnership. To listen to more episodes of Partnonomics Podcast, visit Partnonomics.com.